you have your Bibles, let's open them, please, to the book of Genesis. The Bible study tonight is what the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints believes. Uh, what they believe, and uh, we, would, we would call them the Mormon Church. The Mormon Church. So let's look down in Genesis chapter 3 for just a moment. Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to uh, see as Satan tempts Adam and Eve for a moment. We'll read this passage and then we'll pray. And uh, look at this just for a second. Uh, here it is. In Genesis 3, we won't go through the whole thing. I think you understand uh, Satan is in the form of a serpent. And he's going to tempt Adam and Eve. But notice the statement he says in verse number 5. Genesis 3, 5. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be, what's the next two words? As gods, knowing good and evil. That has always been the devil's, what we would call big lie. He only has one real lie. And here's what it is. You can be your own God. Don't let him tell you what to do. You decide. You decide what's right and wrong. And that's the religion of humanism. That's where America is right now. There's no right or wrong. You decide. What's right for you may not be right for someone else. Now the Mormon church teaches you can literally one day become a god. Going from human to a god. It's a process. Isn't it kind of interesting? That's kind of the first lie Satan said. You can be as God. So we're going to talk about uh, what they believe and what the Bible says tonight. And uh, who knows what may happen. You just never know. Father, bless now the brief time we have tonight as we open thy word. Help us to understand what we believe and why. Please help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And look, well, 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 well. Look at this. Look at this. They've got name tags on. You can kind of spot them. They look, and they're walking slow because the message is not real important. They're spreading and so they're not in a hurry. And I guarantee you, well, I want you all go down this aisle right here, fellas. Here, look, sometimes you have to help these elders. And uh, uh, there it is. And their name tags say elder, but they look kind of young to me. They look about 17, 18, 19, 20. And they're just kind of looking for someone, I'm sure. And look, they found someone just like them. They found another elder. Look at that. Sitting, sitting right here amongst us. And, and he's got the tag and everything on. And uh, so, uh, anyway, well, thank you for helping with that. I appreciate it. Well, Mike, won't you stand up? Some people didn't see your little name tag. Won't you stand up? Won't you stand up? You know you want attention. And, and there it is. You can sit back down. He's the only one that qualifies as elder. <laughs> So let's take our Bibles for a moment and look in Matthew chapter 16, if you will. Matthew chapter 16. Uh, how many of you, they've ever come to your neighborhood or to your door? To your door? I remember when my mother would be at work and my dad would be out of town. We would have people come to our house. We would never open the door. And I'm sure sometimes they were Jehovah's Witnesses. Other times they were Mormons. 
I'm glad the Baptists got us. And the Mormons didn't, and the Jehovah's Witness didn't. And so here it is. In Matthew chapter 16, let's notice what Jesus said here. And I know it looks like a lot of blanks. It's not that many. So here we are. Matthew 16, look down verse 18. And I say unto thee, Jesus is speaking, that thou art Peter. Peter, Simon Peter's name meant a little stone. And upon this rock... He is not pointing to Peter like the Catholic Church says. You can't always see what's going on when you read the verse. He's saying, you are Simon Peter. You're a little stone. And then Jesus is doing this. Upon this rock, pointing to himself, I will build my church. God never builds his church on a human center. He builds it on himself. And he says, then the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus started one church. We need to ask ourselves, was it the Mormon church? What church was it? What type of church was it? And so let's look at this here, a little background uh, to the Mormon church. There are over, if you want to fill in the blank, 27,000 active Mormon missionaries today. That's more than Baptist missionaries. 27,000, they must serve a two-year stint, two years. They are self-supported usually by themselves. They don't raise support. They earn money, they work jobs, they put money in the bank so they can be assigned to a city. And usually it's two as roommates, they'll rent an apartment, and they'll have bicycles to save money, no car payment, no fuel, no broke-down car. They can walk, they can pedal a bicycle, and they'll be door to door and door to door trying to find prospects, do Bible studies. They give two years of their life, all the men and the girls are supposed to as well. Two years. Can you imagine what would happen if Baptists somehow we could figure out how to take two whole years of our life and do nothing but go to a city and go soul winning? We say a little bit further, their name tags say, say elder. It says elder. Uh, that is a Bible word in the New Testament, but that word really means an experienced pastor. And so it's really a misnomer, them even having that word elder. It doesn't mean they're old. It means they're older in the Lord. So they've got experience. Then a little bit further here, they try to be in best of health. These are just earmarks of the Mormon church. Health and abstain from three things, tobacco, you won't see them chewing or smoking. Alcohol. What a place to be a Mormon, huh? In Napa Valley. And here's the hard one. <clears throat> we won't be on this very long. Caffeine. Okay. Now the next thing is here. And so that's three things. You'll see them really. And, and, and that's a big thing. You join the church. It's no alcohol. It's no smoking. It's no caffeine. They feel like that affects your health. And we want the Mormons to be healthy. That's their thought. Uh, their university is in Utah. It boasts 25,000 students. And of course, that's Brigham Young University. And that's two different campuses. That's a lot of Mormons. If you've ever been to Salt Lake City, Utah, if you've ever landed there, you will see them by the hundreds in the airport. And they're taking their mission. Either they're leaving Salt Lake City, they've come to the temple, or they are coming to Salt Lake City to the temple. Very, 
difficult place to build a church when 90% of the population is Mormon. So we keep going here. Uh, Their chief uh, prophets were two, Joseph Smith, and the other one was Brigham Young. Anybody know the name Steve Young? Supposedly his great-great-great-granddad was Brigham Young. So he actually still has the name, raised Mormon. By the way, went to Brigham Young University, and and you'll see that uh, a lot of times. Next, they really emphasize, and we'll give you scriptures in just a moment, but they really emphasize education. Um, You'll find in the Mormon church, a lot of people who've got earned master's degrees, earned doctor's degrees, a lot of engineers, they're smart. Just real smart. uh, A lot of doctors, uh, just a lot of people uh, like that. Uh, They emphasize family. If uh, if you watch TV much, sometimes they'll have commercials on. It'll be a wife come in and hug her husband, and the little kids run up and sit on his lap, and now they open the Bible, and it says, Family, the Mormon church. If you'd like to know more. And so they really emphasize family. So it appeals to people, have young children and uh, educated and so forth. Uh, uh, Number next, uh, uh, they believe in celestial marriage. So that means if you would like to be married for all eternity, you can actually go to the Mormon temple and have a certain type marriage done. Very few Baptists would have that done. Okay, let's keep going. Oh, thank God we didn't do that. No, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, Sealings. They have sealings and also baptisms for the dead. Look over here for just a moment. Look at uh, at 1 Corinthians 15 for just a moment. 1 Corinthians 15. This is what's called the resurrection chapter. So the Mormons actually have what we would call baptism by proxy. That means you can get baptized for somebody else. Because they're believing you have to accept Christ as your Savior, plus be baptized, plus keep the commandments. So it's a works religion. But what if you've got a loved one that won't get baptized in the Mormon church? You can just do it for them. So many people have actually dug up their family uh, tree, their genealogy, And there's a list, all right, for your grandpa, all right, who's next? For your uncle, all right, next, for who? Uh, Your cousin, and for your cousin. So that's what they call baptism for the dead. Since their loved one was not baptized, they're doing it for them to help them get to heaven. Kind of different, huh? So where do they get that? This one verse, look here, and we'll explain it. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse Uh, Well, a little background here. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. It gives the gospel. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, wherein we stand, by which also ye are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed it in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that, uh, that which I also received, how Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And then it talks about he was seen of all these people. So this is called the resurrection chapter. What happens? Uh, uh, Our body will be resurrected. Verse 35, 
how are the dead raised up? With what body do they come? So, so the question is, so what happens when a Christian dies? Uh, their body is changed. It'll be powerful. It describes it uh, all the way through the end. It, it says, verse 41, uh, there's one glory of the sun. So it's glorious. Verse 42, it's incorruptible. Last word in verse 43 uh, is filled with power. Uh, verse 44, uh, it's sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. Then skip down in verse number 29. So the context is he's talking about what happens. Here's these Christians who have now died. Their body is dead. Verse 29, else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? What Paul is saying here is this. Okay. We have had several of our members this year pass away. Uh, we've had Brother Curtis has passed away. Brother Dewey Brown has passed away. Okay, so that's two. We had four people baptized Sunday. Guess what they're doing? They're taking the spots for those who passed away. You get it? Baptized to take the place of those who've died. Baptism for the dead has nothing to do with getting someone to heaven. It's just saying when we get people saved, get people baptized, they're filling the spots where people have passed away. Baptism for the dead. It has nothing to do with you earning someone heaven. It has nothing to do with that. Okay? Let's keep going here a little bit further in our notes. You may want to study that later, the context. But the whole chapter is talking about the resurrection uh, it's, uh, it's talking about our new bodies, and uh, he's addressing Christians who've passed away. Uh, verse 23 says, we're the first fruits, and, and so forth. Then, let's go just a little bit further here. The Mormon Tabernacle Choir, you hear a lot about them, has 350 members. The religion appeals to the educated, and a lot of times, to the wealthy. So that's kind of the crust of kind of who they are. Now let's talk about their history just a little bit. Where did they come from? Who started this church? Was it Jesus Christ on the seashore of Galilee? Did he start the Mormon church? The answer is no. Who started it? Here it is. Early history. Joseph Smith. Back then he was called Joe Smith. It was Joseph later on. So that's, that was the founder. Started in the early 1800s if you want to jot that down. What was his background? Who was this guy? First and foremost, he was what we would call a mystic. A mystic. He would be someone maybe that would go to a seance. He would be someone that would be interested in fortune telling. That sort of thing that we would, we would look at and say, that deals with witchcraft. His dad was a mystic as well. He was a digger of buried treasure. That's what he was known for in the early days of his life. He knew where buried treasure was and he would lead expeditions and they would dig in the ground looking for gold and silver, buried treasure. He also used something that deals with the occult called peep stones. He would actually have these special rocks. They weren't pet rocks, okay? So not from the 70s. But he would look at these rocks and just look at them and know where the buried treasure was. Strange. They called them peep stones. 
He used them because he was digging, get this, for Captain Kidd's treasure. We've heard of him, a pirate, Captain Kidd. Not Captain Hook, Captain Kidd. In 1823, Joseph Smith said this, and this is all in his biography. This is in the Mormon history. He said an angel appeared to him named Moroni. If you write the word moron and put an I after it, that's how you spell Moroni. It really is. It's, it's, it's how you spell it. Moroni. Now, don't mix it up. It's not macaroni. It's Moroni. He said this angel appeared unto him and told him he wasn't happy with all the churches. He was going to use Joseph Smith to start a new Christian church the way it's supposed to be. Top of the page here on your notes, 1827. That's when he claimed he received these golden plates and special glasses that only he could read these golden plates and find out what God was telling the new church. In history, there's a man that did an interview with Joseph Smith, and you can look it all up. I wasn't going to bog down for hours here. But he said he brought him the golden spectacles, and he said they were so big, he said no one could even keep them on their head. They were kind of like those clown ones that you'd use on Halloween, these, uh, these great big things. He said, you can maybe look both eyes through one. And he said, and I couldn't figure out any of the writing. Joseph Smith said it was ancient Greek hieroglyphics. And he brought it to this Greek hieroglyphic expert and asked him if he could translate it. And he said, I've never seen anything like this. But Joseph Smith said he could understand it. Let's keep going here. In 1829, Joseph Smith said John the Baptist, Peter, James, and John appeared to him. So now people have come back from the dead, not in the Bible days, but in the 1800s, and they appeared to him of all places in Pennsylvania. And they conferred on him the Aaronic priesthood degree. So they showed up to just let him know he was now reviving the Aaron priesthood. Moses, brother, who would, who would be the priest in the Day of Atonement, all that. Now Joseph Smith would be the high priest. 1830, the Book of Mormon was printed. So for the Mormons, no Bible till 1830. No Old Testament, no New Testament. They had nothing until then. Let's keep going here. I know this is getting a little deep, a little... I got some scriptures. Hang on just for a second. They bought 63 acres in Missouri. And he said that will be the future temple. That's where God's temple will be built. Now with that in mind, look over in Revelation just for a moment, would you? Revelation just for a moment. And we see in Revelation chapter number 21. Revelation 21. And here's what it says. Revelation 21 verse 1. Notice what it says. And it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And he talks about how that God would rule and reign there. It wasn't going to be Pennsylvania. It's going to be in, it's called the New Jerusalem. 
the new Jerusalem, and that's where God, uh, Jesus, will actually uh, rule. Next, Joseph Smith also had more than one wife. He was a polygamist. And so many of the cities would run him off and say, oh, we have laws against guys like you. You got three wives, you got five wives, you got eight wives. We don't want you here. And they kept running him off. And so he was the leader and uh, had many wives. Number next, this is a historical fact. The Mountain Meadow Massacre. In 1857, the Mormon church ordered a little village of people all killed. And it was 100 deaths. They had given them a hard time, so they wiped out the village. It's called the Mountain Meadow Massacre. So we see a little bit further here. They did add to the Word of God. And so let's, let's look over here, if you will, in Revelation chapter 22, toward the back of the Bible for a moment. Uh, Revelation 22. So they took, uh, in fact, it's 25,000 Verses from the King James Bible are now in the Book of Mormon. We would call that, help me, class, uh, starts with the letters P, L. They stole the words from one document, put it down as theirs, play, plagiarism. And so somehow Moroni gave all these words to Joseph Smith. No, he didn't. Uh, God gave those words to his prophets years ago, and, and, he, and he borrowed them. So we see in Revelation 22... And looking down into verse number um, 18. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these words, he's talking about the word of God. God shall add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things that are written in this book. Let's stop for a second here. Here we go. Someone, uh, sometimes you'll have people say this. They'll say, well, what about the lost books of the Bible? What about the book of Jasher or the book of Barnabas and things like this? Here's what that means. Paul didn't just write 13 letters in his whole life. No, that was 13 books God dictated that were inspired. Paul probably wrote his sister a letter every once in a while. He probably wrote home to mom and dad, but not every letter he wrote was inspired word for word by God. So God had 66 books. We call this the canon. As they assembled them through the years, it was 66 books and no more for hundreds and hundreds of years. And the, the prophets would quote those books. And so we don't have to worry about lost books of the Bible. And in 1800, God's adding to his work. It's, it's done. It's done. Um, so just, just a thought there. Uh, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He said, uh, he, he said uh, 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 to Satan, he said, he said, it is written, man shall not live. by." And, and so we cannot live if we don't have every word. And so I'm concerned about the 66 books, not some book that may be lost. And there's always people searching for those. So here's this uh, Joseph Smith added to the Word of God. Keep going a little bit further here. Scientific evidence, there's videos on this, is against the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon is not respected in the Smithsonian Institute 
as a historical document. We showed the video here one time. And they were having an interview. And it was, uh, it was archaeologists. They said, in the Book of Mormon, it says there was a battle fought in New York where two million people were killed. We have excavated that battlefield. We can't find an axe, a sword, a horse hoof, human remains, no bones. We can find nothing that ever verifies a battle of two million people being killed in this spot. They asked the interviewer, Mr. Archaeologist, what do you think? It never took place. Then throughout the Mormon, uh, quote, Bible, it'll say, and they had these medals. And they had this country. And this city. And they were quoting medals that were never known for those countries. They were talking about animals that never lived in those regions. So in other words, there was a lot of just made up stuff, undocumented, put into the Book of Mormon. And there's a lot of things out there like that. Let's keep going quickly in your notes. You can become your own God. Here's a quote from the Mormon Bible. God himself was once as we are now and is an exalted man. God was a human, a man. Now he is exalted. That takes away that God's always been God. So here's these steps. Here's this process. And of course that takes away uh, who Jesus was as well. So salvation to them is Jesus plus baptism plus good works. And let's look at just one other verse over here in Ephesians for just a moment. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And you'll see sometimes on false religions, they're not real open to tell you everything they believe at first. In fact, you'll never have someone knock on the door and say, we're from the Mormon church. They'll never tell you that. It's always, we're from the church of Jesus Christ. Where every new Christian wants to talk to someone who's from Jesus' church of Latter-day Saints. Well, that sounds good. Because we don't want the Mormons here. No, we're from the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Let's keep going a little bit further. So Ephesians 2, well-known verses, verse 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Here it is, not of works, lest any man should boast. You say, well, how does Jesus feel about a church that says you have to earn your way to heaven? That makes the cross of none effect. Any religion that teaches you've got to add to the cross, that was not, the blood was not enough. It is finished, didn't mean it was finished. He rose from the dead, but now you got to do this, and now you got to do this too. Wow. It's too bad the Son of God couldn't do it all right there, huh? But he did, and he did. Then we see just one other great verse to just help us with this. is Titus, two or three uh, pages away. Titus chapter 3. I want to give you this quickly. Titus 3, and then we'll wrap this up. We're about done. Titus chapter 3 and verse number 5. And I love this. It's a great verse to memorize. He says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Baptism is a work we can do. 
living good, obeying the rules, no caffeine, no drinking, no smoking. But according to his mercy, who saved us? He saved us. We didn't save ourselves. He saved us. By what? The washing of regeneration and renewing, not baptism. It's talking about his blood and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Let's fill in these last blanks here quickly. Here it is. So Christ or Jesus in the Mormon religion was a spirit brother of the devil. So who was Lucifer? Jesus' brother. Kind of kooky, huh? Let's keep going here. Here's another one. For those who have African descendants from many years ago, you check on the Mormon church and you'll find they left the black race alone for decades. Say, how come? They believe the black race was cursed and some extremists did not even believe they had a soul. Isn't that amazing? And then if you check history about the time civil rights took place, all of a sudden they all got a soul. And they were allowed to be Mormon priests and lead in the Mormon church, but not before. Kind of interesting, huh? Keep going here a little bit further. So you say, Pastor, so what, what do they teach about hell? And you'll see this. Oftentimes, false religions back off on what the Bible says about hell, the fire, the brimstone forever and ever. They back off. They're real soft on it like Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons too. What do they believe? Here it is. You get a second chance. You don't accept Christ as your Savior. You die. There's the celestial heaven, the terrestrial heaven. You know, there's three levels. So it's not fire and brimstone. People come there to minister to you, to teach you the gospel. So you can accept Christ and still be allowed up in heaven. Well, you don't want it. Well, you want to stay here forever or go up there? Okay, I'll take it. So they get another chance and another chance and another chance. Only a few will ever be bad enough to burn in hell forever. It's what the Mormon church teaches. Very few. That sounds a little bit different than Jesus, huh? He said, wide is the gate. Many there be that go to destruction. Few there be that find. Narrows the path to heaven. He, he says, there'll be few in heaven, many in hell. And it's just opposite of what the Mormon church teaches. What do they call these people? Here's the blank if you want it. Spirit prisoners. If you die and you're not a Mormon, well, you kind of go to hell, hell level number one or maybe heaven level number three. And you're just a spirit prisoner. You're a prisoner there till you accept Jesus. And then we let you out. You get to go on up. Man. It seems like it wouldn't be real important to get saved here, would it? Live my life. Do whatever I want to here. Get another second chance. Sounds kind of like what the devil would make up. Why worry? Live and let live. Party. He who dies with the most toys wins. 
And then they believe that few will go to hell. Let's look at one last verse in Luke chapter 16, if you will. Luke chapter 16. And again, if we're not careful, obviously we love people, but we can hate their doctrine. And Satan is always tricky because he will mix truth with error. Pro-family, love people, back off on the alcohol, back off on the uh, uh, this and that. Don't do that. Love your wife. Be kind. Work hard. Uh, uh, work out. Treat your body well. Get a good education. A lot of that's great. And then earn your way to heaven. One drop of straight nine. Got to get baptized to go to heaven. A little bit more poison. It doesn't take much poison. Truth mixed with error. And that's what Satan did. The serpent did in the Garden of Eden. He said, you shall not surely die. Eat the fruit. You're not going to die. Well, that was halfway true. They didn't die immediately, but their spirit died. You'll be gods. And that was a lie. Basically, he was saying, if God really loved you, he'd let you eat this. That was a lie. Lie. Truth mixed with error. So sometimes you're going to hear some real good things about some false religion, but it's the error. Sometimes it's not what they say, it's what they don't say. So there's the Mormon church right there. I hope that, and I'll say this, we've had, let me see. I've been saved 53 years. I've known of three people raised in the Mormon church, only three. They got saved, but they were not active like every Sunday when they got saved. They dropped out. It's hard, real difficult. You're not going to win them door to door in five minutes. You may win them if you work with them for several years and they see your joy and see you smile. And one day they're going to say, all right, you have something I don't have. I got religion, but I don't have what you have. You'll win them through time. Because they'll watch you. You'll build a relationship and they'll watch you. But it won't be stranger five minutes at the door. It won't be like that. Because they know what they believe. They've been taught so much false doctrine. It's going to take a lot to, to pull up those roots. But they can be saved. God loves them too. Let's be kind to them. Don't invite them in your house. Do not have a Bible study with them. Well, show me what you believe. I'll show you. Yeah, and three hours later, they're still showing you. They're going to make up stuff and pull up stuff and some word here and there, the Nephites and all these stuff you never heard because it's not there. And the lost tribes of Israel, it's, it's, you would do better getting out somewhere with a handful of tracks, talking to people who want to hear. You'll never win an argument with a Mormon. No one ever wins a, Mor uh, a, a uh, argument. Don't argue. Share the gospel if they'll hear it and move on. Move on. Don't take the literature. Don't read their literature because it's not going to be based totally out of this book right here.